Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening. We continue our reflections into this very rich topic, this special topic of mercy. At your request, we have started up a study on the topic of mercy in all of its detail. In our time together last time, we offered up just a general definition of mercy, especially mercy seen in light of justice. And we will get back into that. But before I do that, I do want to continue to thank all of you out there who are tuning in by way of podcast, who are taking you know, 27, 28 minutes out of your very busy schedules to um, spend with me and to journey into this great one thing we call Catholicism in all of its beauty, in all of its splendor, especially those of you out there who are tuning in by way of podcast from outside the country, um, from Brazil, Argentina, Chile, uh, Canada, Mexico, and Western Europe. I thank all of you. It really is an honor that you take 30 minutes out of your time to journey with me. Okay, so last week we were reflecting into the relationship between mercy and justice, and consequently examining how justice is based in love, flowing to it and from it, and thus operating as an important agent for deepening our encounters with Christ's mercy, huh? And how are we intended to understand this? Well, as a father, when my children misbehave, I am well aware of the need to give them punishments that fit their crimes, so to speak. And in doing so, I am awakening in them a sense of the gravity of their wrongdoing, which at once encourages critical reflection into their misbehavior and hopefully deepens their resolve to change. From this, they will mature to see right from wrong and be free to become the people God is calling them to be. Of course, as their father, I understand that a lack of repercussions can allow what? But a pattern of more mischief to develop. And for this reason, consequences are necessary, flowing to and from love, which always wills the good of the other. Remember that most fundamental definition of love, as we've talked about it, to will the good of the other. Other is first. We are second. So, in the end, within this analogy, their just punishment, their just punishment, which is sometimes harder on me than it is on them, comes from my love for them. And it is in this vein that just as the objective requirements that make up justice assist in the development of my children, so do the objective requirements that make up justice assist us as children of God in our own encounters with Christ's mercy. Here, I am thinking of the importance of the penance we receive in the confessional. In and through our penance, we are made to reflect critically on our wrongdoings, and out from that, hopefully, we are resolved to change. Drawing strength from the grace of the sacrament of reconciliation, we are to see how our penance is something rooted in God's love and consequently an opportunity for deeper conversion. In the end, 
we are made to see that justice is never ignored or abolished in light of God's mercy, as sin and scandal are never diminished nor thought to be of uh, no consequence. Rather, what is just is taken up in the Paschal mystery and returned to the subject, you and I, as a restoration of right relationship in grace through mercy. Amen to that. Now, we have many, many examples of how sons and daughters of God have been agents of God's mercy. Through the years, there have been many agents of God's mercy here on earth. But there is one, particular to the 20th century, that is very close to my heart, and that is St. Maximilian Kolbe. St. Maximilian Kolbe was born in Poland in 1894, and uh, young then Raymond Kolbe, he would receive the name Maximilian later, was called by God at the age of 16 to the consecrated life. And it was at that time that he left for Rome to study for the priesthood. And it was in Rome where he was ordained in 1918 at the age of 24. He returned to Poland where he established the apostolate called the Militia Immaculata. This was a missionary movement dedicated to increasing awareness uh, to the teachings of the church and spreading devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now what's interesting is the inspiration for this apostolate had come in 1917 when, while studying in Rome, one young Maximilian Kolbe encountered an exponential increase in the persecution of Catholics. And so it was in 1927, he established an evangelization center and ultimately what would turn into a formation house in the city Neopokalanov, which in the English means the city of the Immaculata. So from 1927 to 1939, the formation house in Neopokalanov grew from 18 friars. Listen to this, my friends. From 18 friars to over 900 making it the largest functioning monastery in all of Europe. His mission ultimately was to bring as many souls as possible to Christ through the hands of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Utilizing the most modern technology, the Evangelization Center distributed over 230,000 copies of a daily newspaper and supplied a monthly magazine to more than 2 million subscribers. I mean, think about that. 230,000 copies of a daily newspaper and a monthly magazine to over 2 million subscribers. Certainly, we could say that uh, Father Maximilian Kolbe was a true apostle of the mass media and in many ways, and in many ways, a forerunner uh, to the new evangelization. We can well imagine why Maximilian Kolbe would have been an enemy of Adolf Hitler's Nazi regime. Everything that Father Maximilian Kolbe had written about was in obvious contradiction to Hitler's ideology and the dictatorship that came from it. After the Nazis invaded Poland in 1939, soldiers arrested Father Maximilian and some of his companions because of their evangelization work. And initially, they were sent to the concentration camp Dachau, but thereafter several months, he returned back to his formation house only to be arrested again soon thereafter and sent to Auschwitz, that concentration camp that many of us are familiar with, at the very least in our history books, Auschwitz, the death camp, and there would be no return this time. In late July of 1941, 
A prisoner escaped from the barracks at Auschwitz. It was a customary Nazi practice to send 10 prisoners from an escapee's cell block to die in starvation cells. One of the prisoners on this occasion was a man by the name of Francis Gajovnicek. Francis Gajovnicek. When he heard his name called, Francis, a husband and father, broke down and cried out in agony over the fate of his family. As Francis later shared, to the astonishment of both the soldiers and the prisoners, Father Maximilian Kolbe, diminutive in stature, moved forward from the ranks of the prisoners and stood before the commandant. The soldier who was in charge of the execution of the ten prisoners asked Father Maximilian, What does this Polish pig want? Father Maximilian heroically responded, I am a Catholic priest, and I would like to take the place of this man who has a wife and family. Remarkably, and I say remarkably because really, even for Father Maximilian Colby to get to the front of the line was a miracle because the standard would have been if anyone moved out of line, he would have been shot. So remarkably, the commandant not only allowed him to come to the front, but heeded his request, granted his request. And Father Maximilian now fell in the ranks of those who would be sent to the starvation chamber. And about the events of that day, Francis Gajovnicek, Mr. Gajovnicek, would later recall, listen to Gajovnicek's own words. I could only thank him with my eyes. I was stunned and could hardly grasp what was going on, the immensity of it. I, the condemned, am to live and someone else willingly and voluntarily offers his life for me? A stranger? Is this some dream? I was put back into my place without having had time to say anything to this priest, Maximilian Colby. I was saved, and I owe to him the fact that I could tell you all about this. The news quickly spread all around the camp. It was the first and the last time that such an incident happened in the whole history of Auschwitz. For a long time, I felt remorse when I thought of Maximilian. By allowing myself to be saved, I had signed his death warrant. But now, on reflection, I understood that a man like him could not have done otherwise. Perhaps he thought that, as a priest, his place was beside the condemned men to help them keep hope. In fact, he was with them to the last. Mm, powerful. So Father Maximilian Gobi spent the last two weeks of his life in the same manner of grace with which he spent the previous 30 years, inspiring devotion to the Immaculata, a man by the name of Bruno Borgovich, one of the Poles who was charged to be at the service at the starvation bunker, offered an account to his parish priest of what he saw. Now listen to his words. The ten condemned to death went through terrible days. From the underground cell in which they were shut up, there continually arose the echo of prayers and canticles. The man in charge of emptying the buckets of urine found them always empty. Thirst drove the prisoners to drink the contents. Since they had grown very weak, prayers were now only whispered. At every inspection, when almost all the others were now lying on the floor, Father Colby was seen kneeling or standing in the center as he looked cheerfully in the face of the SS men. 
Father Colby never asked for anything and did not complain. Rather, he encouraged the others, saying that the fugitive might be found and, and then they would all be freed. One of the SS guards remarked, This priest is really a great man. We have never seen anyone like him. Two weeks passed in this way. Meanwhile, one after another they died until only Father Colby was left. This, the authorities felt, was too long. The cell was needed for new victims. So one day, they brought in the head of the sick quarters a German named Bach, who gave Father Colby an injection of carbolic acid in the vein of his left arm. Father Colby, with a prayer on his lips, himself gave his arm to the executioner. Unable to watch this, I left under the pretext of work to be done. Immediately after the SS men had left, I returned to the cell, where I found Father Colby leaning in a sitting position against the back wall with his eyes open and his head drooping sideways. His face was calm and radiant. Mm. Wow. So it was on August 14th, 1941, that the Germans injected carbolic acid into Father Maximilian Colby, killing him. And so what do you have, my friends? <laughs> on the eve of what was to become the solemnity of the Assumption of Mary, August 15th, officially celebrated nine years later, Father Maximilian died, his ashes rising up to the heavens like incense. Significantly, we could say, the solemnity of the Assumption of Mary celebrates Mary's victory over death. It is appropriate that Father Maximilian Colby, who relentlessly, who relentlessly, spread devotion to Our Lady, should claim victory over death with the gift of his life. Hmm. During his canonization homily, St. John Paul II declared this hero of charity the patron saint of our difficult age, the patron saint of our difficult age. Why? Because in the life of St. Maximilian Colby, what do we discover? We discover that even in the most tragic of circumstances, mercy triumphs. Mercy triumphs. For those who struggle to see God in a culture of death and goodness in a culture where there is so little decency, the story of Father Maximilian shines like a beacon, pointing towards the one true light of Christ. You know, my friends, what have I said about light and darkness? The observation is often made to me. Joe, there is so much darkness out there. What's the point? What's the point? Well, if there's so much darkness out there, if we are a light of Christ, what does that mean? Well, the more brilliant our light shines, because the greater the darkness, the greater the light. So if Jesus Christ comes into this world of darkness and he is the light, be rest assured, my friends, if we imitate Christ and we allow Christ to invade our souls through and through, what will happen? The light will be seen. We will be set apart. What does the word holiness mean? The word literally translates as set apart. We are set apart the more we are lights of Christ, pointing to the greatness of God's mercy. Amen to that. We talk about St. Maximilian Colby because indeed he is an agent of God's mercy. And we are to be reminded of men and women like this 
who shines so brightly in places where death is only known. Amen to his life. As promised, now it is time to turn our attention to the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And we will start with the corporal works of mercy. It is fitting to start with the corporal works of mercy because, generally speaking, we should take care of the bodily needs of our neighbors before attending to his or her spiritual needs, huh? I mean, if someone is starving and all we are doing is preaching, are they going to be able to listen? The corporal works of mercy respond to the basic needs of humanity as we journey together through this life. Also, the fact that we begin with the corporal works of mercy helps us not to dismiss their importance, huh? And I think from time to time, we need that reminder. This sequence is important to note because we might slip into the mindset that the spirituals about conversion and the corporal are, well, not so much. But that would be a very misguided understanding to the nature of the works of mercy. Why? Well, to place other as more important in their bodily needs. My dear friends, this is to experience transformation. This is to experience conversion. Now, these two categories of corporal and spiritual works of mercy are all found in sacred scripture and are all more or less equal in value. While one precedes the other, it does not make one category per se more important than the other. What might be a parallel? Well, you have heard me talk about the literal sense of Scripture and the spiritual sense of Scripture. The literal sense of Scripture really focuses in on the intention of the author and the historical context, huh? the cultural milieu that surrounds the author of sacred Scripture, whether it be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, so on and so forth. The spiritual sense draws out the spiritual meaning of the text, right? The literal sense is not more important than the spiritual sense, but it does come first. Why? Because if we're going to understand sacred scripture, we must first appreciate the historical context from which it comes. It doesn't mean that the spiritual sense is any less important, right? But such a parallel does help us better understand that one comes before the other, so that one is better understood in light of the other. <clears throat> we can put it this way, one forms and informs the other, right? They are mutually illuminating. All right, one last point before we engage the corporal works of mercy. We will spend more time with the spiritual works of mercy because by their nature, in the spiritual, there is uh, a developed theology behind them. Again, this doesn't put any more weight on the spiritual now. That would, that would be a contradiction. But certainly, uh, as the spiritual works of mercy have more developed thought to them, we will spend more time with them. Okay, so the corporal works of mercy are found in the teachings of Jesus and give us a model for how we should treat all others, huh? As if they were Christ in disguise. They are charitable actions by which we help our neighbors in their bodily needs. That is what the corporal works of mercy are all about. The first, again, that we will look at is to feed the hungry feed the hungry. Now, there are many people in this world who go without food. Many people. 22,000 children die each day due to poverty, and they die quietly in some of the poorest villages on earth, 
far removed from from the scrutiny and the conscience of the world. There are 2.2 billion children in the world, and 1 billion of those 2.2 live in poverty. Infectious diseases continue to blight the lives of the poor across the world. One of the more recent stats show that every year there are 350 to 500 million cases of malaria with 1 million fatalities, mostly in, in Africa. Now, when so much of our food goes to waste, we are obliged, my dear friends, to consider in the light of what we are talking about now and these statistics and these realities that are before us, to practice what? Stewardship, huh? Stewardship and how the virtue of stewardship can benefit others who do not have the same resources we have. I speak to the global context, which we need to all be aware of. But how about our local neighborhoods in our own town here in Chico? There has been an exponential increase in homelessness. What are we doing about it? What are things we can do? Well, let's first consider the global context. Research identify and contribute financially to organizations that serve the hungry, within your means, of course. Something you will find, and my wife and I have found this, and we are most grateful, you're not only feeding the poor, but you will discover new friends that are now lifelong friends. What else can we do? If you have the means, go on a spiritual field trip, if you will, to regions where extra hands are needed. You will find yourself giving, but again, you will also find yourself receiving. There is something that takes place when you go to the poorest of the poor. And what is that? Christ ministering back to you in and through the poor. What did Jesus say? You did it to me. You did it to me. And if we are serving the poor, we are serving Christ. And if we are serving Christ, Is not Christ going to fill us up with his grace, with his love, with his mercy? You better believe it. This is why, my dear friends, (laughs) this is a corporal work of mercy. It's just not that we are agents of God's mercy and lending a helping hand. It's also that we are filled up with God's mercy in who we are serving. That's the powerful dynamic of Christianity. Powerful. And what can we do locally? for homeless. Brothers and sisters, I cannot encourage you enough to sacrifice the gift of your time and go to your homeless shelters and food pantries. Go there. See what happens. See what God shows you there. Be rest assured, He will show you something. What else can we do? Well, try buying a little less for yourself and maybe a little more for those who are starving in your streets. The little sacrifices go a long, long way. Now, I know for some of us, it is hard because it's so easy for us to see how they're going to take the money we generously give them and use that for the drug addiction or alcohol addiction or whatever addiction they're feeding. Well, let me say this. Why not buy an extra box of granola bars or something similar and put it in your car so that you have actual food to give them when they come to your car? Or maybe... Or maybe if you're walking down the street and they ask you for food, invite them to join you for lunch, for dinner, whatever time it is, and whatever meal is best for them. Why not do that? I know 
It demands your time. But as I've already said, if we are going to be agents of God's mercy, then what is the one thing we are going to have to sacrifice? Our own time. Our own time. So, very important. Lastly, as it relates to feeding the hungry, do we consider our own homes within this category of the corporal works of mercy? What do I mean? Does not your father or mother who works fulfill this work of mercy? Does not your father or mother who cooks fulfill this work of mercy? In point of fact, it is in the love we learn from our parents in how they provide for us that we better understand what this work of mercy, feed the hungry, is all about, especially within the context of the larger picture. Brothers and sisters, what you feed grows. If you are giving love and receiving love within the home, what do you think is going to happen in your local neighborhoods, in your local community, and in the global community? You are going to be will, more willing to give and to receive. Huh? This is the principle of what you feed grows. And so if you are a parent listening to this radio program, I really encourage you to think about this. Do we do all those little things with love? Think about that within the context of this corporal work of mercy. Do we show our children what it means to reach out to those who are in need, to actually go to those who are starving, who are famished, who are in need of food? What was the number? 22,000 children die every day due to poverty. Homeless in our streets are dying every day due to poverty. What are we doing about it? So let us just pull back from the normalcy, from our routines, and ask those questions. And in it, ask this question. How can I incorporate within my routine, within the quote-unquote normalcy of my day, this corporal work of mercy to feed the hungry? If not every day, at least once a week. And be open. Be open to what God has to show you, just not in the response to that question, but also when you go from point A to point B, running this errand or that errand. Be open to what God has to show you. If a homeless person comes up to you, are you going to be able to see that encounter as one within the context of Christ? Or is he just another person who's in your way of what you need to do? Where are you at in your spiritual journey of faith? Okay, we will pick up with our reflections into the corporal works of mercy next week. And as we do, we will continue to uh, look into the mirror and see what God wants to show us. Huh? All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.